0: Yes, it's me, Jamie Lane from Made in Chelsea. And you have stumbled across the Made in Chelsea podcast. Now,
1: I know I'm a pretty charming guy, all right? And people come up to me and go, Hey, Jamie, (laughs) how do you do it? And I tell them, be enthusiastic about meeting people. And most importantly, always be ready to smile. So make sure yours are looking the best with Sensodyne. It's
2: designed to help care for sensitive teeth. The MIC Drop is proudly sponsored by Sensodyne. Here for the hashtag sensitive moments on Made in Chelsea. (music)
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone, and we are broadcasting live, mostly from Seattle tonight. Two thirds
2: from Seattle.
1: Devendra is in my house as we speak. the, 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 Skype, <laughs> the Skype call, call is, is coming from in the house. Room. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but not
0: in the same room. Not in the apparently. same room
1: um, for voice isolation reasons, and all, uh, like basically and for and legal also, reasons. Dave, right? Dave, a... Dave just can't stand. Yeah you, guys, uh,
2: yeah, you guys have, have a long-standing yeah. legal arrangement wherein you cannot be in the same room at the same time. We the
1: restraining order. <laughs> uh, so we're not in the same room. But, yeah, and, and I mean, in reality, it's because it's actually kind of complicated to record uh, yeah. two people in one place and one person in another place at the same time. Uh, so, one time. Uh, eventually. Yeah, we'll, yeah, eventually we'll master this technology. But uh, anyway, yeah, Devindra is in Seattle for the Microsoft Build Conference. And so he's just over here at my place. We're recording uh, together. Uh, but welcome to the show. It's been a while since we've done a what we've been watching, guys. Uh, and you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Today, we're going to be doing what we've been watching. And then we're going to be reviewing Tully, the new film uh, starring Charlie Theron, written by Diablo Cody directed by Jason Reitman, really psyched about this one, Uh, lots to discuss there. But uh, so much we've been watching over the last few weeks we haven't had a chance to get to. Let's get into what we've been watching, guys, but before we do that, there is a a movie-related announcement that David Chen has been waiting for literally years to occur. And that is that the third Sherlock Holmes film starring Robert Downey (laughs) Jr., (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law <laughs> is set to be released in uh, on Christmas of twenty twenty. Oh, Christmas. making your holiday a good sit. That's correct, Jeffrey. That's correct. I mean, for those who don't know, you know, the phrase "a good sit" originated with uh, me talking about Sherlock Holmes. Uh, but Jeff, he- here's the thing that's that's ha- going to happen, and it's going to tear this podcast apart. Assuming we <laughs> haven't disintegrated already by then, uh, right. and that is that uh, December twenty twenty. Jeff, does that does that sound like a familiar day to you, or, or a familiar time period to you? Because December
2: twenty twenty,
1: because it should sound like the time period when the new Avatar sequel is going to be
2: released. <laughs> oh, those will get delayed again. Don't you worry, Dave.
1: <laughs> but this guys, this is a this is a showdown for the ages. Okay, you got yeah. Sherlock Holmes three going straight up against Avatar two. It's gonna be it's, uh, it's gonna be bloody. You know, it's, it's going to be cul- which
0: relevant franchise will win. <laughs> Who knows? It's cultural relevance
2: versus a good sit <laughs> for the ultimate uh, for the ultimate bragging rights.
1: I know, I know. It's you know, and I look forward to ultimate victory on this one, Jeff. So, wow, uh, Sherlock Holmes three. I, I am actually genuinely excited about this movie. Are
2: we are we determining the winner based on the quality of movie or box office?
1: Totally. The answer is yes. Yes, because
2: I'm pretty confident on both counts.
1: Mm, okay, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. But yeah. anyway, the <laughs> movie Sherlock Holmes Combs- to to make money. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I'd say I don't. I don't. I don't lose if my movie gets delayed because I already called a delay.
1: <laughs> Sherlock Holmes three is going to dominate. It's going to be awesome. All right. W- wanted to make sure I-, I mentioned that at the top of the show. Yeah. Uh, okay. And by the way, I I should point out. By the way, the the Sherlock Holmes one went up against Avatar in two thousand nine. So you know these. Oh yeah, we who who won that one? um, I'd like I like to think that they both won. You know, (laughs) you would like to think that, yeah. Sherlock, I I mean, okay. On a serious note, people like to dismiss the Sherlock Holmes franchise. Put aside the fact that it's way better than that Benedict Cumberbatch series. Uh, Sherlock Holmes 1 made over $500 million at the box office. That's That's about as much money as Iron Man 1 made. How much did Sherlock
2: Holmes 2 make?
1: Uh, I don't think quite as much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows... Uh, made uh, about the same amount, $545 million, compared to like $525 million. So the, both of these movies made half a billion dollars at, at the box office, and their budgets were not massive. These aren't like $200 million movies we're talking about. So it yeah. actually is kind of like a reliable moneymaker for uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, so anyway, it should, be, uh, should perform well. I'm looking forward to it. Really psyched. Uh, okay, let's get to what we've been watching, guys. I, I was – so much has happened – in the world and also uh in the world of entertainment since our last broadcast uh and one of those things that happen is i, I don't know if you guys heard but uh Mitch Hurwitz announced on twitter via the arrested development twitter account that a season 5 of arrested development is happening oh, and so also excited. and also that uh he has recut season 4 to make it more similar to the style of the first three seasons, Amazing. he fixed season four. Basically, yeah. now let, first I, I thought the the notice on um, on the Twitter account was actually very amusing. I'll read parts of that in a second, but I think we've all had very mixed thoughts about season four of Arrest Development, right? I mean, yes, definitely. Um, even the way Mitch Hurwitz described it in this announcement on on the Arrest Development Twitter was. He said, the goal was that by the end of the season, season four, a unified story of cause and effect would emerge for the viewer, full of surprises about how the blues were responsible for most of the misery they had endured. In some ways, to be an experience for that viewer, perhaps akin to eating some toast, then some bacon, maybe a sliced tomato, followed by some turkey and realizing, hey, I think I just had a BLT. (laughs) So that that was what they intended. And uh, I I mean, it really did. Because that
2: works. It works so well in the sandwich world.
1: <laughs> it really did feel like that. It really did feel like, oh, you were trying to feed us these ingredients one by one and make us think it's a sandwich, and it doesn't really work at all. Um, right. And so this this announcement that Mitch Hurwitz put on Twitter is very self-deprecating uh, and <laughs> very much conveys that he, he – he, I mean he – He can made a huge mistake. Yeah, he made a huge tiny <laughs> mistake. I mean can you, acknowledge, can you imagine the amount of will it takes to go back – through a fifteen-episode season, recut it into twenty-two <laughs> twenty-minute episodes. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, it, like you, I, I, I feel like there's like some kind of karmic debt he's probably trying to repay by doing it like this. I mean, season four made it so that all the Bluths were uh, uh, separate because they couldn't they couldn't figure out a way to schedule all the actors at the same time. Right, right. And so they had all the Bluths were in separate locations and in separate adventures. And you realize that hey, they really work better together. Uh, And so, I think season four was ultimately a failure. So, uh, recut as season four, uh, remix, Fateful Consequences is what it's called. uh, That debuted this week, uh, uh, last Friday, I think. So, have any of you had a chance to watch any of these new episodes? Not yet. I'm excited to though. I've seen. I I am sad though that
0: the original cut is no longer. No, it's
1: it's available. It's available. It's uh you need to click on trailers and more. It's it's like very hidden away. Oh oh
0: yeah, that's easy. It's more.
1: (laughs) It's it's obviously more. It's the more part. It's it's literally more. Um because you get more per episode. Uh, but so I've watched about six episodes of Rest Development season four. And I should point out, you know, that Rest Development is not only one of my favorite entertainment experiences of all time but is a cultural touchstone for me and my wife it, it is uh, not a day goes by that we don't quote arrest development to ourselves uh or to each other so it is a big deal like re- relationship altering this uh, series was and and will be when season five comes out and so we take it really seriously i think my wife has memorized virtually the entire series of one through three uh seasons one through three and so I was psyched to dive back in, and Season 4 is extremely uneven. It's extremely long-winded. It's extremely plot-heavy. And the remix does virtually nothing to solve those problems. Uh, Oh, no. I I will say this. The remix is a lot better than the originals. So if you're going to go through Season 4 for the first time, uh, then definitely do the remix. I also think the remix is a fun little experiment to kind of rewatch season four in preparation for season five so it's cool it's a cool way to drive interest in season four but i mean it is just so dense in terms of the plot and there's so much ron howard voiceover a lot of which is new they just try and explain mm. what the hell is going on. like, because what they're doing, right, is instead of having like individual characters have their own storylines, they're intercutting between all of them in one episode. So they're telling the story yeah. chronologically rather than like Jeez. one character at a time. And so Ron Howard needs to the narrator needs to kind of bridge the gap between all those characters. What a and ton of work yeah, must have gone into this. It,
0: it, it looks like does a ton he of acknowledge work. that? By the way,
1: yeah. Does I mean, there, there's a lot of little in jokes uh, throughout, <laughs> but I mean. My take on season four was was
2: that the episode where Michael goes to college yes. with George Michael is by far the best episode and really the only episode you need to watch of that
1: entire season. And here's the thing. That episode is still extremely funny in the remix as well. Yeah. So good. if you're going to watch one version of this, make it the remix, I would say. Uh, but, yeah. Also, guys, I don't know if you remember. Uh, there was a lot of terrible green screen in season four where mm. – two characters they couldn't get the two actors in one place at one time so they would green screen in one of the actors like in front of another actor it just looks awful it just is very obvious it's green screen this is one of netflix's earlier series so you could tell they weren't spending all the money that they uh, had later on in <laughs> in netflix's life uh and it just feels cheap and and kind of unprofessional um and a lot of that is still present in the remix as well. So I would say that the remix does not solve the so some of the larger intractable issues of Season 4. Um, but it is a market improvement. And you, you really get a sense of what they were going for with Season 4. Like, you, you get a sense of, like, oh, yeah, there are some really funny jokes. And some of these characters do get into some crazy, wacky hijinks. Um, but... You, you Like, what you see is, oh, I get if they had had access to the budget and to all these people to be able to be in the same place at one time, what they could have made. But they didn't make it.
2: Now, do you and, think, based on all of this, that you are excited for season five or are you worried about season yeah, five? I don't know how to feel, but I,
1: my guess is for season five, they were able to get more of the actors together. In one place, right? Even well, so the, that's the
2: way they've described it, is that it's a return to how, yeah, how right. it was.
1: And also Netflix
0: has unlimited money now, basically. <laughs> so they can do whatever they need
1: to. Right. That's so e- even in the trailers for Season 5, which the trailer for Season 5 was released today... Even in the trailer, you can see that there are like more actors in one place than like in season four. You know, the whole of season four. I'm exaggerating, but I yeah, mean, they've got they've got Thanos in there now, <laughs> and, like it's yeah.
2: just the money is no object.
1: That's right, that's right. Um, so, am I excited for season five, Jeff? I'm very. I'm kind of nervous because you know it's like watching uh, season four is like watching someone you knew, like a musician, at the top of their game. You know, um, play a set that's like really weak. And then they're like, oh, I, I, I remixed the set, and now it's a little bit better. And yeah, it's a little better, but it's not good. you know. And right. so it's like, can this person come back and, and stage like a massive return to form uh, that's going to wow everyone? Maybe? Maybe? Well,
2: but, if we take that analogy, most of the time, no. <laughs> most yeah, of the time, I, your I favorite musician is just past their prime. I know, and, uh, right? And so I it's hope like, that's not the case here.
1: I, I hope it's not the case, um, but, but like season the, the remix makes me think. hmm, Maybe he has he does still got it a little bit. You know, Mitch Hurwitz. Uh, I mean, I I was laughing at this note he wrote announcing season four right. remix. Like he's still a very funny guy. So I'm looking forward to season five, but I, it's like cautious optimism, Jeff. Cautious optimism. Yeah. So
2: we'll have to do. We should do a, a full on uh, full season discussion of that. When I'm up it for it. I'm up
1: for it. Yeah. Arrested Development Season 4, Fateful Consequences, or Arrested Development Season 4 Remix, Fateful Consequences, that's a mouthful, uh, is available on Netflix right now. Season 5 comes out on May 29th. So uh, that's what I've been watching this week. Devendra, you've been watching a bunch of Netflix stuff as well, right? A lot of Netflix
0: stuff. Um, I It is crazy. I, I just sat here thinking of everything I watched and so many are Netflix productions, which is just, I don't know, what what does that say about the state of movie production today?
1: Isn't it uh, insane, Devendra, that yeah. there was a new John Woo movie released this week, and there was a new Andrew Nichol film released this week, and they both landed on Netflix to virtually pretty no crazy. fanfare, right? I mean. to, yeah,
0: to nothing. They just kind of arrived. And I think the people in the know uh, knew these movies, you know, got there. But beyond that, like, yeah, not much promotion from Netflix. It just kind of appears in your feed. As if it was always there. Uh, but yeah, I saw Manhunt, the new uh, shoot up from John Woo. And uh, I just have to say, like, it is very nice to see him coming back to the genre that uh, where, where he kind of really made his name. Uh, for the past couple of years, John Woo's been making like historical epics. Uh, the Red Cliff movies. I think there are a couple others, too. And those are fine. But they're not the reasons I love John Woo. I love John Woo because people you know, get into crazy shootouts and the action's insane. It's like, uh, over the top. And it's also like a soap opera all at the same time. And I think this movie kind of does a lot of that. It's about a lawyer who's framed for a murder and, uh, he goes on the run. Meanwhile, this cop is chasing him and, uh, this evil corporation, uh, this evil pharmaceutical corporation, Is really behind everything, and it's the the action jumping between all them.
1: The plot is ludicrous. It is
0: pretty crazy. uh, (laughs) If you remember, do you guys remember the Fugitive? Like what the actual plot of that movie is? (laughs) It is a hearkening back to the days when you know pharmaceutical companies can be evil, and uh, you know we don't we don't have big political villains. I guess it it just feels like a simpler time. Um, This movie is not good. I will (laughs) say that, but it is a ton of fun. And I really enjoyed watching it. So, like, there's there's a shootout where you know doves come out of nowhere, as they do. At one point, a dove like blocks the two characters as they're about to shoot each other, and I thought that is just such a beautiful zany moment we wouldn't see anywhere else. Uh, there is an uh, there is an action scene well, in a let's, farmhouse. Let's, let's, let's provide let's
1: provide a little bit of context here, Devendra. Yeah. Okay. So John Woo. Uh, you, for some people, it's 400 blows and Akira Kurosawa films, <laughs> and you know Citizen Kane. Uh, but for me, it was John Woo. You know, like sure. he's yeah. formative in my uh, development as a cinephile, and um, a, a lot you really of really
0: like Broken Arrow. Just love so much. Broken
1: Arrow, Face Off, Face Off, uh, all the, the great John Wu movies, all the great I mean, Face Off is, is a great movie. movie. Don't okay. don't laugh at this. Jeff. Face Off is good, yeah. but uh, but you know his his classics are The Killer and yeah. uh, Hard Boiled, which to this day, in my opinion, still remains one of the best action films of all time. And by the way,
0: he is Hard-boiled. remaking The Killer with Lupita Nyong'o, and I'm so oh, yes. I'm so there for it.
1: It's going it to be it's going to be amazing. Insane. So so yeah. uh, a lot of the reason why uh, action movies look the way they do today, I would attribute to John Woo. I mean, he mm-hmm. he developed many of the conventions like excessive use of slow motion, you know, yeah. crazy steady cam and, and you know dolly yeah. shots. Uh, dual pistols or people pointing pistols at each other at the same time and having big dramatic speeches and confrontations. John
0: Woo begat the Matrix which you know which is what really affected everything else but that's
1: that's the direct connection there. Yeah and
2: uh, go ahead Jeff. I was gonna say I was gonna say the exact same thing as John Woo by way of Matrix. (laughs) By way of
1: Matrix that's right and uh and and so he has all these hallmarks. Uh, Another hallmark is Dove's Which appear in random places in every single John (laughs) Woo movie. Here, you know, uh, here, the first place you see doves appear in the movie Manhunt, directed by John Woo, is when uh, the main characters crash into a series of dove cages. Yep. (laughs) At (laughs) least there's a setup. And then doves are everywhere. That's my
2: question. Is that is he has he just become a parody of himself? In in many ways,
0: yes. I would say. But I think this movie he is aware of that and really having like at one point the characters say, I'm really waiting for a better tomorrow. Like he he knows what he's doing because he's referencing his own movies, and there (laughs) there are several scenes of that. So, you know, I am he it is like John Woo kind of having fun with himself and his own like uh, his own pedigree. I kind of I, I think it's fun, but it's not a good movie. I'm still waiting for that great John yeah. movie so to come back.
1: There's um there's like Japanese and Chinese actors in this film, and yeah. sometimes they speak all Japanese. speaking English. Sometimes yeah. they speak Chinese, but sometimes they speak English, and the English uh, acting is uh, pretty terrible. Generally, I would say. Well, <laughs> like, the
0: dialogue, no matter
1: what the, language they're speaking, the dialogue, the dialogue is, is bad. Dialogue is also bad. Yeah, I, I mean, or, like yeah. even no matter no matter what their uh, intonation <laughs> is, like the dialogue is awful. Um, and it's extremely cheesy and way over the top and ridiculous and the plot but you is loved nonsense. It. Yeah. I, you, but yeah. I don't know if I loved it, but I, I think it's just like it's been a long time since we've seen John Woo having fun in a like directing a movie. And some yeah. of the action scenes are still both funny because of they're so like self parody and over the top, but also like uh, genuinely thrilling. There's some cool concepts in some of these action
0: yeah. scenes. Yeah, there there is a shootout in a farmhouse where people just decide to ride motorcycles into the farmhouse because <laughs> of course, and it's it's great. It, it, I love all of it.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, uh, I, I had a good time with it, but it, yeah, it's not it's not a good it's not a good movie. I not a good movie. Vendora. It's uh, a fun movie. That's Manhunt. It's on Netflix right now. It's directed by John Woo uh what else have you been watching davindra
0: i've also seen psychokinesis the next movie from the train to busan director sang ho yan and i uh, have to say after i felt a little sad about the state of superhero cinema after watching uh, avengers this movie really reminded me why i love these movies because it's a very you know within five minutes of this film your heart is broken And you care so much about these characters and like, it is so focused in terms of what it wants to be. And I think um, this director, he comes out of uh, animation. So he did a lot of like anime style films uh, before a train to Basan and before this. So he has a great visual sense and his like style is just very comic booky. This is a movie about a guy, kind of a loser who is also uh, an estranged father who gets powers. He gets telekinetic powers and he uses it to help his daughter and this, you know, this group of like misfit shop owners from a big developer. That's it. That's the entire movie, and uh, it is just so much fun. Like him discovering his powers, him growing as a person. Uh, this guy kind of rekindling his relationship with his daughter. It is, I think, it's just such a focused, lovely little superhero movie, and it's cheesy because you know, Train to Busan was also super cheesy. But I think uh, you know sometimes that works. Sometimes you know you need that little bit of camp to kind of uh, tell some of these stories, and I'm I'm perfectly fine with it. So check it out. It's Psychokinesis on Netflix.
1: All right, Psychokinesis. Uh, and you've also saw the new Andrew Nichol film on Netflix, yeah. right? So Andrew Nichol uh, is a very well-regard. I mean, he's made, in my per from my perspective, some of the best sci-fi films of all time, yeah. and some of the worst, and some probably. of the worst.
0: Coincidentally, yeah, it's really um, strange. Yeah. So this
1: guy co-wrote and, co- uh, wrote and co-produced The Truman Show. Uh, he wrote and directed films like uh, Simone, Lord of War, uh, In Time. Um, but mainly Gattaca. But mainly Gattaca, Gattaca, Gattaca really, is, I think, is his claim to fame. His first movie. Yeah, his uh, first movie, yeah. More recently, he directed a film called Good Kill, which actually got pretty decent reviews. Uh, but now he has a new film on Netflix called Anon. And mm-hmm. you had a chance to see this movie. Um, what do you think of it, Dundra? It, uh,
0: it, it is not a good movie. Um, <laughs> it is sort of like an episode of Black Mirror uh, starring Clive Owen, which honestly is enough for me. That's all I need. I need Clive Owen as like a world-weary detective, which is what he is. Uh, this is set in a world where people uh, are forced to have these sort of like AR implants in their eyes, so... There's just a co- the world is a constant stream of information. You're walking down the street, you'll see people's names, uh, you'll get information about like storefronts and everything. It's a layer of information on top of the real world, similar to like what we saw in Blade Runner, I guess. Uh, um, but the movie uh, is about like him discovering this person who does not exist, a person who's anonymous, and uh, that is the big crime. It's not the fact that this person is suspected for murder; it's the fact that this person cannot be tracked in this, uh, you know. Worldwide computer network that the cops rely on. Uh, it's a really interesting concept, actually, because the beginning of the movie is basically him uh, talking with uh, suspects and people, you know, who were accused of things. And he just sits there, and he's so bored. He's so bored because he's like, "Oh yeah, you you didn't steal this thing. Let me look at your memory. Rewind. Sees exactly what you know what happened." Uh, so it's like <laughs> it is a world where cops' jobs are very very easy because uh, they literally just have to look through the eyes of uh, the perpetrators. Um, so it is kind of funny to see him as like a detective who's just so bored of this shit. And Clive Owen definitely has that look in that face of just being done with this world. Um, but eventually becomes something more like Minority Report, where he is accused of something he sort of framed. Uh, he has an, you know, he has a relationship with his ex-wife, um, or he has an ex-wife uh, because uh, something he did made him lose their son. It is like throughout this movie, it is just shades of Minority Report, except not as good or as thrilling or as interesting as Minority Report. So, I have to say, pretty disappointing. Uh, it's a good-looking movie. It has a really sharp uh, contrast and a really interesting palette. Uh, but even the AR, if you look at the trailer for this, you'll see the AR is just like literally white text over the world. It looks like the you know the world's simplest uh, graphics
1: imagery. <laughs> they didn't put enough uh, effort into designing their fake AR yeah, user interface, I think is what
0: it is, It's pretty sad. I've <laughs> seen Black Mirror do better. So, yeah. you know, I don't think they fully sold this world. Um, it's also pretty dumb towards the end so there's that uh but if you want to see clive owen as a future detective uh this exists
1: (laughs) if you want to see clive owen as future detective this exists yeah uh ringing endorsement (laughs) the movie's (laughs) anon and it's on netflix yeah uh all right davinder you want to give a shout out to a few things
0: quick shout outs um to howard's end which i've never read and i've never cared about but i really enjoy this new howard's end miniseries which is on stars so I feel like I'm being paid by Stars now. This is the second Stars thing I'm really uh, promoting here. Uh, but this is an adaptation by Kenneth Lonergan. So oh, it's really interesting to see an American adapt this like well-known British story. And it stars Matthew McFadden, who's been you know in a ton of these things. He was in Pride and Prejudice, uh, and Haley Atwell, who's also amazing as this sort of uh, you know, Bohemian character who will not be defined by the rules of her world. Um, great cast all around. It looks amazing. So it's funny. You know, the story itself is, is great. Clearly it's withstood the test of time. Uh, but it's a really well-written and sharp and funny and cool. Uh, it's strange to say, but I'm just really into this adaptation, even though it's really just about, you know, well-off British people who, you know, may or may not get married or who are looking for the next giant house that they can live in. Um, it's uh, I don't know. I find a lot of, to like with these characters. So definitely check it out. And between this and Counterpart, it is worth doing like, you know, a stars free week and just catch up on those shows because this is just four episodes.
1: Right. Four episodes. Four oh, episodes. I see. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's almost like it's just an extended film.
0: Basically. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's Howard's End. It's on stars. Sounds really intriguing. Um, is so, very good.
0: Yeah. One more quick shout out to Janelle Monet's Dirty Computer, her emotion uh, picture or film. I forgot what she was calling it. Um, but this is her, like, video companion to her new album, Dirty Computer. And if you like Black Mirror, if you like, uh, you know, cool science fiction imagery, you should go check this out. If you liked David Bowie and if you like Prince, you should, she is Ooh. the new incarnation of these fellas. So I'm you listening. Go. Yes, you <laughs> should go pay attention to Janelle Monet. I feel like I've loved her for so long and she hasn't been as famous as she kind of deserved. And this album is her attempt to, like, sort of reboot her... Uh, image a little. It's just so good. It's so funky. I've been listening to it for the past couple of weeks, and this movie is just gorgeous. So check it out.
2: Wait, what's the movie called, and what do you see? It's it? called
0: Dirty Computer. You can stream it. It's all on YouTube right now. So It's like ah. a 45-minute long thing. It includes um, all the music videos that she released over the past couple of months, but also like this interstitial story about um, uh, a person, uh, I guess an android, who's deprogrammed. It's very Black Mirror-ish, uh, very pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mainly you're watching it for the music and the music is amazing. And yeah, Jeff, I know how much you loved Prince. Um, I also loved David Bowie as much. And like, she is just the embodiment of all of their style. It's Mm. so great.
1: I'm gonna have to watch that. Yeah. That's a dirty computer. It's available on YouTube right now. All righty, Jeff Kanata, you want to tell us what you've been watching this week?
2: Well, hey guys, I I don't want to, uh, throw you off, but, uh, almost everything I've been watching is, is been on Netflix.
0: (laughs) I I sense a problem here, but okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, is it a problem? That's a good question to, to, for us to digress on at some point. It's a good
0: problem, but it's also, I, I, yeah, I don't know what it means yet.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's the best of times is the worst of times, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I have definitely been watching a lot of Netflix original things. Uh, Dave, I know you and I share a love of great stand up comedy And uh, a lot of what I've been watching involves that. Um, Have you seen, Dave, uh, James Acaster's series of four one-hour specials that were released on Netflix? Uh,
1: No, I have not. Well, it's all um,
2: grouped under a heading called Repertoire, which one assumes is his entire stand-up repertoire. But I've never seen a stand-up comic release four one-hour specials all in one group as if they were – Episodes of 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 a, of one right. product, but they are really four one hours.
1: Dave Dave Chappelle has been releasing them two at a time, which is kind of interesting. Right. Yeah,
2: but it's an extraordinary thing to see four hours of comedy material. They all are unique and. Uh, you know, stand alone as individual hours that he probably, you know, wrote and performed in different time periods of his life as, as his hour, you know, uh, but he does them all here and they all, you know, they auto (laughs) auto continue like Netflix things do. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I was not familiar with James Acaster before watching these. And, uh, he has a new fan in me because I was blown away by what I saw. Uh, this guy's like the King of, of setups and payoffs of, of creating a a joke that seems like a joke in one moment and then keeps coming back. He keeps returning to these themes that you think are just throwaway things, just one time uh, moments, but they're actually brilliantly constructed uh, series of themes and recurring motifs that he returns to. It's this beautiful structure that he has in his, in his hours that I've never seen anyone do anything like it's amazing. Just purely from a structural standpoint of how he sets things up and pays them off. It's an amazing thing. And it's really funny. Very, very smart. And the other thing that's extraordinary about this guy, it's all clean. I think he says maybe a couple of, uh, off color words, but all of the concepts are super, uh, you know, PG, PG 13 at most. And, uh, I always give a, a little sort of extra credit to, uh, to up comics that can pull that off because uh, I think that's a, that's a pretty awesome feat in and of itself to be able to be funny and be, and not have to resort to just, you know, going blue. Um, I highly, highly recommend watching James A. caster's repertoire. Just watch the first one. And I think you'll be hooked and you'll want to watch all of them
1: jeff i'm kind of curious so first of all i just added this to my list on netflix i'm kind of curious uh how you came to watch this guy were you are you just are you one of those people that sits down in front of the netflixes and you fire it up and then you just accept whatever <laughs> is brought to you you know not
0: like-
2: at all quite the opposite i i almost never do that um this was the unique situation where uh, I was having a child <laughs> in the in the hospital, and uh, the first time around, my wife and I, uh, our first child, we passed the time in the hospital uh, watching. Um, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Wong um, Ellie Wong. Ali Wong, yeah, yeah. Ali Wong's well, by the way, wonderful. It has,
1: a new, it has a new special coming out this month, yes. I believe. Yeah,
2: very excited to see that too. My wife and I were revisit it. But she did it as a stand-up special, pregnant. I think we talked about it on the show, uh, and it was hilarious. And it really kind of passed the time effortlessly. And I, you know, there's a lot of tension and distraction when you are in a hospital having a child or have just had a child. Uh, and so watching narrative things can be problematic. You kind of aren't able to focus quite as well. Watching stand-up is really perfect, uh, at least for, for my wife and I. Um, and uh, so I saw this and um, I just gave it, gave it a shot because he looked like a, a stand-up guy. I was like, four things on a row? That's really crazy. I'll, I'll give it a shot. I may have had somebody even recommend it to me, but I don't know for sure. But yeah, I was blown away by it.
1: So you watched one and you're like, I'm going to get through the rest of these? Yeah, I I was like, this guy's amazing. This can't be how all
2: of them are because this is too incredible. (laughs) Like they can't all be like this and they're all like that, but in completely different ways. And I mean, for example, I don't, I won't spoil anything, but for example, in the first one, he comes out on stage and he kneels down and he does like half an hour, maybe not that long, 15 minutes on his knees not mentioning it at all why he's on his knees but he just stays there on his knees the whole time and then he tells you why he has done that and it's it like completely changes everything you've seen before that and it, 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 it he returns to that con it's just so brilliant it, it's such a smart smart comedy and I was I'm I'm blown away by the guy
1: all right. Well, you've sold it, Jeff. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it's I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Yeah, James Acaster's repertoire on Netflix. Uh, all right. What else have you been watching, Jeff?
2: Well, sticking in the the you know milieu of of great up and great comedy, uh, I watched the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, uh, which is very similar, I guess, to how Howard's End is in the sense that it's one big old long movie. Uh, in fact, uh, Judd Apatow, who created it directed it, um, says it's a film in two parts. Each of the parts is two hours long. So it ends up being a big four hour long film, but it really is one thing. I mean, it's, it's it's divided into two parts. I watched it over two nights, but it really is one thing. And you can't really watch the second part. I mean, you could, but you would miss a lot. The The first part, it sets up the second part. It, it, it really is one big, long thing. It's a documentary about the life of Gary Shandling. I'm sure everybody knows who Gary Shandling is, but his TV series uh, shaped a lot of my comic sensibilities when I was a kid. It's Gary Shandling show. I just thought was a work of genius when I was a little kid. It just blew my mind. The whole idea of a meta show. Like I had never experienced anything quite like that when I was young. And you know, that was, this was like pre, the Simpsons and yeah. pre-Ren and Stimpy and pre the things that sort of were that for my young mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. You
0: know, Jeff, can you watch that anywhere now? Because I think a lot of younger viewers really don't have that sense of Gary, of him, I, basically. I think
2: it's on Netflix. Okay. I think the entire It's Gary Shandling show and I think the entire Larry Sanders show are both on Netflix, Okay, I think. so yeah.
0: that's your best entry point. Yeah,
2: oh my... Oh, no, I'm sorry, HBO, not Netflix. I think HBO. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. HBO. this is
2: this is was on HBO. I should I yeah. said it was on Netflix, but I'm wrong. It's, it's yeah. it is on HBO, as are all his old shows. Uh, so forgive me for that mistake. Um, but yes, it's Gary Shilling's show is an amazing thing. It's a it's a show about a guy whose life is a TV show, and he's aware of that. Like he knows that he is in a sitcom as he's living his life and he messes with the conventions of sitcom as his life is going on. It's utterly brilliant. And there was never anything like it before it, when it came out, it was pretty, pretty spectacular. Um, but that's not even like the best thing about Gary Shandling's life because then he went on to even Trump himself by making the Larry Sanders show. And, uh, that is a sort of, um, behind the scenes of what it's like making the tonight show or a similar late night standup or late night uh, variety show. And that show is also a work of genius that I think probably still holds up today. In fact, watching the Zen diaries of Gary Shandling made me want to go back and watch both of those shows again. Uh, But really this is so much more than just about those two series. It really is comprehensive about the entire life of Gary Shandling. Starts with him as a very young boy. And the thing I didn't realize is that Judd Apatow had a really amazing relationship with Gary Shandling through his entire life. I mean, he reached out to Gary Shandling when he was a teenager and it resulted in a lifelong mentorship that Gary Shandling, uh, the relationship Gary Shandling had with uh, Judd Apatow that led to, after Gary Shandling's sad uh, death, uh, led to Judd Apatow getting a bunch of these diaries that Gary Shandling kept through his life, a bunch of video footage uh, of him and his family that was really personal and really intimate. Um, and all of that is in this film. I mean, it's amazing the amount of access that Apatow had and the amount of uh, love he clearly put into this, showing what was so amazing about Gary Shandling, showing his genius, his work ethic, his, the th- his demons, the things that that um, haunted him through his life and and the things he struggled with. It's a look inside... I think a, a man who was a genius, but a troubled one, and uh, a look inside what it takes to make something great, and and a, a commitment to excellence, and sort of a, a you know a, a self immolating <laughs> excellence. You know these these tortured geniuses uh, we see over and over again, but it's rare to get such insight into the entire life of a person um, in a lot of their own words and a lot of their own inner thoughts. I mean these diaries, these Zen diaries. Diary might even be the wrong word. They're almost like affirmations he wrote to himself. They're, they're like he talks to himself. He writes things, notes to himself like, hey, Gary, don't be this way. Or, you know, it's, it, there are ruminations on art and creation. He was a guy who meditated through his entire life and was very spiritual. He also sounds like this amazingly generous, beautiful human being. And I came away from this two-part movie uh, inspired and moved and uh, really, really blown away and, and with more insight into a person than I already thought I was familiar with. So I, I highly recommend it. it. It's it's quite an amazing thing that clearly comes from a place of love.
1: That's very cool. That's the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. It's on HBO. And I guess uh, Judd Apatow really set the bar high. I mean, when when I pass away, I fully expect you guys to make uh, an extremely ambitious documentary using all my tweets and podcast appearances. Mm, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, look forward to that. I think that'll be a yeah. lot of fun.
2: Yeah, no, me. I think Devinger and I are look, looking forward to when you die, also, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It just got dark, Jeff. I got dark. I was just making <laughs> a little words. joke. Would yeah. You, i just underscoring your words, David.
1: <laughs> we are all looking forward to that. Um. <laughs> You know, talking about Gary Shandling's show and the conventions of uh, comedy, it reminds me of this podcast I listened to this week uh, that I wanted to give a shout-out to. It's called Decoder Ring. Have you guys Mm -hmm. heard of this podcast? It's Slate, uh, hosted by Willa Paskin. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's uh, Slate's TV critic. I've been a fan of Willa's for quite a while. Hope to get her on this show at some point. But um, the episode was called The Laugh Box. And, Jeff, are you aware of, like, the the uh, you know we people always say, oh yeah, um the the laughs that they use in sitcoms right they're mm-hmm. they're not real laughs, they're fake oh, yes. laughs, right recorded long ago, right Correct. what so I always knew that when you watch a sitcom and you hear the laughs, like they're not necessarily organically generated, that they're reusing laughs from uh, recorded decades ago. What I didn't know is that there's a physical box that someone is manipulating like an instrument. And th- there's like buttons on it that have different laughs associated with them, mm. and you're playing the laughs like a guitar or something like that, and and you can like create like <laughs> yeah, like a theremin, like you create laughs that like tell a story. Um, <laughs> you know, like like there's you know uh, th- 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 on this episode of the podcast Decoder Ring, they gave one example of like oh um, there's one guy who gets the joke really late, and you hear him laughing like far after everyone else does. You know, like uh, right. s- the David Chen thing. laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Darindra. Um Simple things like that. That uh, you just—it sounds completely organic, right? It sounds like oh, the, a dude actually got the. But someone actually made that with a physical box. Hmm. Uh, I just thought that was really interesting. So it's
2: fascinating. I, I wonder if that box is still used now, because it feels like that would be a an odd thing to still be in use with what with how you know, most things are digitally edited.
1: Right. right. Uh, I think they, but, a lot of the, I mean, there's just not that many shows that have a laugh track these days. Um, although well, there is,
2: are more than you'd think. It there is seeing a bit of it's, a
1: resurgence.
0: The ones we're not watching.
1: You yeah. got yeah. Roseanne, you got, um, uh, well, like
2: everything. One day at a time with Steven Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon, everything, you know, like li- there's there are entire channels that are still making that kind of show that we just, that are really for an age range that we're not in anymore. Um, but even shows that are filmed in front of a live studio audience, almost a hundred percent of those shows juice their laughter. Right. So even when you get you get, so there's levels of this, right? Because you have a studio audience who are genuinely laughing at things, yes. But they also have a person encouraging them to laugh more and harder in in person right. to actually laugh, and then after the fact, those laughs are then also juiced with pre recorded laughs. To fill it out, so there are layers and layers and layers of of that stuff happening,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, so it is crazy to contemplate and to just like kind of explore the idea also I'll just say one other thing uh, about the the argument that they make in the podcast, which I thought was really interesting, which is that um, that the laugh track was kind of a way to uh, train people how to watch TV shows at home, right. Yeah. And basically, before right before the era of TV, when you'd see theater or when you would see a show, you'd be with hundreds of people, right? Right. Uh, and then you started watching things by yourself, and then you stopped uh, going, you know, watching things with groups of people, or you know, maybe you'd wa- like it was a family activity or more of a solitary activity. Uh, and so the laugh track kind of comforted people and made it feel like, hey, it's okay to laugh by yourself. Um, right. But people have now learned that, and they no longer need it anymore. Uh, a lot I have of people hard watch... time watching
2: things that that have laugh tracks right. at this point. I, I, oof.
1: A lot of people watch TV by themselves; like they don't watch it in large groups these days. You know, it's largely yeah. a solitary activity, uh, and so it's kind of interesting to see how it's evolved. Uh, but anyway, the the podcast is Decoder Ring. It's on Slate. And uh, I, I just thought, yeah, the fr- really strong uh, debut episode. So uh, check it out if you have any interest in um, the laugh box, as it's called. It was also uh, cross-posted. That episode was cross-posted on the very popular podcast 99% Invisible. Uh, mm. So if you subscribe to that, you'll get it automatically as well. All right. Let's move on. Before we get to our review this week, we want to thank all the people who donated to our podcast. Thanks to Maurizio Pina, Seth P. from Cottage Grove, Wisconsin, for his very generous donation. And also Nicholas Volney for his donation. Thank you guys so much for contributing to the Slash Filmcast. Thanks also to William Ellen Bark and Josh Hubanks for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support what we do here, help us defray the cost of putting on the show uh, and paying for movies, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Again, that's SlashFilm.com. Click on the Slash Filmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. uh, And, yeah, it really helps us uh, see movies, which can be quite a costly proposition these days. If you want to donate straight to us, you can also go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast uh, and donate there. Uh, Guys, I made a really cool discovery recently. Uh, I went to the South Center Mall. And if you go to, I think it's the first movie screening of Saturday morning, it is $6 to go see a movie in a really nice theater. Wow. So, nice. But you've got to wake up at the ass crack of dawn to go see uh, Tully, which is what I did. Great movie to watch in the morning, by the way. Um, Can I tell you how much it cost <laughs> me
2: to go see Tully?
1: How much, Jeff? Uh, a, a cool $100. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's talk more about that. Uh, I want to hear this whole story. In our review of Tully. Hello. I'm Tully.
0: I'm here to take care of you. I'm just not used to people doing things
2: for me. I hold a baby all day, and then nighttime rolls around, and I'm supposed to just switch gears, like, hello, I'm all sexy now. You're empty. Yeah.
1: No, you're empty on this side. That was from the trailer of Tully, the new film by director Jason Reitman. It was written by Diablo Cody and stars Charlize Theron. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A mother of three hires a night nanny to help with her newborn. Uh, So, gentlemen, I was really psyched to check this movie out because I I really enjoyed and had actually recently rewatched Mm-hmm. Uh, Reitman, Cody, and Theron's uh, last collaboration, Young Adult, which I thought was oh, a good. really powerful portrait of uh, a person in a state of arrested development. And I think this movie... Uh, <laughs> our farm is a dairy farm. We only use organic feed. The cows produce you know, quality organic milk.
2: Yeah, all our hens are RSPCA-assured. Free to roam in and out of the sheds throughout the day. They lay a lovely york. The key to our beef cattle is looking after their, their welfare, keeping them happy.
1: At McDonald's, we're proud to source quality ingredients from over 23,000 farmers from across the UK and Ireland. Good to know. I don't think this movie is that same person in a later stage of life, but it's certainly a person within a later stage in life and, and uh, has the same kind of incisive... Uh, trenchant sort of eye towards this issue, which in in this case is not returning home to your hometown, uh, but raising a child. Now, Jeff Kanata, uh, apparently the process of seeing Tully for you was a comedy of errors. Tell us about <laughs> this.
2: Well, not necessarily a comedy of errors. <laughs> um, I will say, first of all, that last week when we reviewed Avengers Infinity War... Uh, I had a, a lengthy preamble to my review whose express purpose was to explain how I was probably the, the least credible uh, person to review that movie because I was such a homer for everything that happened. And I was trying to lay all my cards on the table and say, I'm not going to be able to look at this movie uh, with any sense of objectivity uh, and I wanted everybody to know that, that I was going to come at it from a, a, a place where you'd have to take everything I said with a grain of salt. And I was probably the least credible source this <laughs> week. I'm here to say the exact opposite is true. <laughs> I am the only person here qualified to talk about this movie this week, uh, because I'm living this movie right now. Um, <laughs>
1: Arguably, uh, your wife is more qualified.
2: To talk indeed, about story, yeah. indeed. So here's what happened uh, on the road to seeing this movie this week. I, as you guys well are well aware, uh, I I stay away from trailers, and I I rarely even want to know the premise of things. I knew this was a Reitman, Diablo, Cody, Charlize Theron joint, and I knew I wanted to see it. I knew we were reviewing. I knew I wanted to see it, so I was in. I didn't I didn't know anything about it, anything. And my wife uh, had heard about the movie actually on a mommy blog that she reads. And sadly, uh, the mommy blog told the ending of the movie, which is f- frustrating. But um, <laughs> my wife, knowing what the movie's about, knowing that I needed to see it for the show, said, uh, honey, I need to go see this with you. <laughs>
1: and,
2: I think you're going to be upset if you see this without me.
1: Yeah,
2: and my uh, wife, in her infinite wisdom, I said I don't know why that would be the case, but I I trust you. But as regular listeners of the show know, I have literally a a two week old baby. Uh, I mean, it's not even two weeks; old. it turns two weeks old tomorrow. Right. Um, so, not, not easy, not easy to to both of us go to a a film, even a film that's only you know ninety plus minutes but we did it. My wife uh, made it happen. We, we got a, uh, our nanny, uh, who we have a couple of days a week come in and, and help out. Uh, she came in on the weekend and we went while my older uh, child, my son was, was taking his nap, which he takes for about two and a half hours in the middle of the day. We stole away. There was a showtime that worked exactly in his nap time. And then we got our nanny to come and watch my daughter who is shy of two weeks old and my wife and I went out and it was the first time she has been out to the movie theater since Kingsman two uh, and that was the first time in you know a year wow. she's so like the only the second movie she's seen in a theater in like three years um, maybe a little less than that two years but uh, it was an amazing thing to be able to go to the to the uh, movies together without kids and have this kind of uh, date experience to go see a movie that is about Literally, what we're living right now—taking uh, <laughs> care of a newborn child—but uh, of course, you know, twenty dollars an hour for the for the uh, <laughs> for the babysitter uh, for three hours and uh, forty dollars, yeah, thirty-seven dollars for the movie—it's uh, a hundred dollar an, an evening, which is like, oh, I, I get why people <laughs> go to the movies after they have kids. Anyway, um, all of that is to say that. Uh, this movie I really loved and my wife really loved. In fact, most of what you'll hear me say is just what she said to me. And I'll be relating to you guys Mm -hmm. because this movie is uh, a movie really about, about her, about, uh, women in that situation who already have uh, a kid or two and have another. And, uh, the, the things that I think, Certainly, most people that don't have kids, but even some men that do have kids, including myself, miss and don't see and don't understand. Um, It is uh, an extraordinary movie that has no antagonist, right? And the antagonist in this movie is how hard life is, (laughs) how hard it is to have kids, which is a huge antagonist in my actual (laughs) life right now. Um, And and I think that's what's so beautiful about it. Like it could have gone in so many ways to create uh, a villain or to demonize a a certain person or a certain thing, uh, even to create strife within the husband and wife relationship here. But it is a, a relationship of love that is experiencing something that's really hard, even for people that love each other. And I thought I had such insight into the experience of what that's like. And certainly my wife and I, by the end, were both in tears, holding hands, you know, in this darkened theater, like not so excited to go home and hug our kids again. Um, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful performance from Charlize Theron. It's a beautiful script. There's some beautiful performances, even from little kids in this movie that are yeah. so hard to get. Um, and there are moments, I mean, there's a, there's a, a montage in this movie very close to the beginning that's right after the baby is born that is like it, – it's everything I'm doing in my actual life right now. I mean it is – like every single thing that they show – there's only – my wife goes – when we're walking out, she's like, there's only one thing they showed that we've never done, which is set our baby on top of the dryer – Uh, And that's because we have a stacked water dryer. So we literally can't do that. But every single thing they show and it's so like shorthand, wonderful, like a quick cut montage of all these parenting moments of pumping, you know, pumping the the breast milk or uh, knocking things over or getting frustrated or things spilling on you. Like there's things that are cliches, but are cliches for a reason. And because they're shown with such specificity and honesty, transcend cliche and and are really just a representation of how it really is and i think that the journey that the character goes through which we will talk about more in spoilers i found beautiful i, I just i loved this movie it hit me at a time where i'm literally living it and um I'm, I'm excited to talk more about it in spoilers but i i recommend it i've recommended it to everybody i know that has kids but i'm so curious what you guys who don't have kids think of it
1: Divinger your take us through
0: your yeah. thoughts Uh, Yeah, this movie is pretty terrifying as somebody (laughs) who actually wants to have kids, you know, eventually at some point. Um, Yeah, all all my worst fears kind of in this movie. (laughs) And also the idea of, uh, you know, this movie is primarily about Charlie's uh, Theron's character, but also, you know, her husband's there and he's just a guy. It's Ron Livingston. He's just a guy. He has a boring job. He's he's kind of a funny. he's He's kind of a boring guy.
2: Isn't Basically. it perfect
0: casting, though? He's like, he's I a Ron feel, Livingston. Oh, you know? man. So I saw this movie with Christy, and the first thing I said when it was done was, I feel so bad for Ron Livingston. Because <laughs> it's just this role for him <laughs> over and over again. Like, Office Space worked because he was that guy rebelling against the system. Right. But, uh, yeah, he was the same guy in Sex and the City. He's the same guy in, like, so many other movies. It's uh, It's just hilarious. So poor Ron Livingston. Glad he's getting work. Uh, so, uh, I, I basically, my fear is also being that guy too, like thinking I'm doing okay and not yeah. being good enough. So yeah, this movie, uh, there's a lot going on with this movie, but uh, I have to say, um, as somebody who really liked, uh, Jason Reitman's earlier stuff, um, yeah. I'm talking about like Juno and young adults and up in the air and even, uh, thank you for smoking. I think those were all like really smart and funny and insightful movies and some of his later stuff, I just was not a fan of. Uh, Labor Day was super melodramatic. Uh, Men, Women, and Children is sort of like a hilariously bad Black Mirror episode. It, it, it is not very good. And I'm not a fan of his, uh, HBO, uh, his Hulu show, Casual, uh, although I know a lot of people who really like that. So, you know, it, it is nice to see him back in his element. And I think this movie proves that he and Diablo Cody are just the perfect team. They're like they're like a tag team duo of, you know, diving into the issues of adulting and the horrors of it and what makes it so difficult. Um, I think a lot of people still make fun of Juno. But you look at like, you know, what that movie is really about is about this young girl kind of coming to grips with this very adult problem. And also the married couple in that movie, you know, Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner. That is a really fascinating relationship. And it's really fascinating how that kind of plays out and how realistic it is. So in this movie, I'm just, I'm glad to see that back. Um, I think Charlie Sh- Theron's performance is amazing. Um, yeah, it says so much. It rings so true. And, you know, yeah, I'm definitely in that age where all of this is just so damn terrifying. <laughs>
1: uh, I also really love the movie. I'm, I was kind of bummed to hear that the, uh, the movie didn't do very well over the weekend. I think it made like $3 million on over a thousand screens. Um, which is uh, pretty rough, considering Juno made 143 million dollars when it came out. Up in the Air, 83 million dollars, uh, and that is a bummer because I think you know th- the movies have gotten better as they've gone along. You know, I th- think Young Adult is uh, is a better film than Juno. I think Tully is a better film than Up in the Air. And you mean his ones with Diablo Cody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus and Up I, in the Air. And I think, um, yeah, he didn't. Yeah, the Diablo Cody wasn't uh, didn't write Up in the Air, but yeah, yeah. I mean. It's a bummer that as as the films become better and more mature, they make less money, and uh, I think it's just a sign of the box office times we live in, it's very difficult to open a movie that's about parenthood. Um, or about motherhood specifically as the case is with this film. Yeah.
0: Well, without like any big hook, right? This is a movie about a woman who hires a night nurse and that's the movie.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, let me ask you this question, Jeff Kanata. Uh, mm. I- is the concept of a night nanny something you were aware of going into this film? We have literally talked
2: about it as a fantasy. Uh, we have uh, we have a friend. Um, it's very similar to this movie. Uh, we have My wife has a friend who is quite wealthy. And she has a night nurse, uh, and, uh, has related the experience to my wife. And my wife was like, Oh my God. And I was like, well, can we get one for like two days and just sleep <laughs> really well? Uh, so we've, li- we've had the discussion of like, Whoa, could we do it? Would we do it? Let's maybe think about doing it. Um, yeah. So it is definitely something I've, how much, I know how much of. does a
1: night nanny cost? Just so I ha- We
2: haven't even looked into it, but it's not cheap. It's not It's not cheap. Interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, an- anyway, I-, I really want us to get into spoilers soon, but I love the film. The performances are wonderful. Um, and, I mean, the film does make you feel uncomfortable in a lot of ways, and sometimes I wonder if it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable in the ways that it's making you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I- I'm not 100% sure, and we can talk about that a little bit more, but uh, I-, I think that... Uh, Diablo Cody continues to prove that she can write this, these like really well drawn characters, and Jason Reitman still knows how to direct a film beautifully. One thing he is really great with, uh, and I know like the term, I'm, I may be even using it wrong, but like the mise en scène, uh, he, he he's really masterful at figuring out how to relate what's in the background to what's in the foreground. You can see this even in the trailer, right? A lot of shallow depth of field in his shots. Um, a lot of shots that are like rich with detail that tell a whole story, like even a single frame will tell a whole story and uh, certainly brings that to bear on this film as well. So I think it's well-directed, well-written, well-performed. And let's dive into it guys. Let's dive into some of the the weird stuff that goes on in this film. So I I do want to emphasize that we are going to spoil Tully starting very shortly uh, and I, I really want to emphasize that if you want to avoid spoilers for this film, which is something yeah. I think you should do, you should skip the section until you uh, yeah. see the film. So It is yes. not
0: a movie that you think you would need a warning like this, but it is that movie. Therefore, just, just be warned. Just be and warned. it's
2: worth, I think we all agree, it's worth seeing. It's worth seeing in the theater. Uh, so, it, especially if you have kids, but even if you haven't, had kids or, or maybe thinking about having kids it, it is it, i think it's a beautiful film that deserves to be seen on its own terms so avoid these spoilers if if you're thinking of seeing it and think of seeing it
1: <laughs> let's get into spoilers for tully starting right now now you're looking for the secret you're see coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not gonna see this coming you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it works you don't really want. Work it out. Who's in the box? I have been
2: dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret man. You
1: want to be fooled. I'd like to read a couple emails from listeners as a way of kind of getting into some of the spoilery elements of Tully. Uh, so let me just read a couple of emails that people wrote into slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, Dalton from Florida wrote in, I saw Tully Friday afternoon and have been unable to shake it. I was in high school when Juno came out and immediately became a fan of Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody. Seeing young adult was shocking. I did not expect a film of that depth, sadness and tragedy. So given young adult, I thought I was prepared for Tully. I saw no marketing materials for Tully and knew nothing about it outside of the creative team. The film floored me. I'm currently about to wrap up my master's degree and officially start my adult life Tully was an absolute horror film. Every anxiety that I have about adulting was on the screen. The idea of being trapped in an endless cycle, doing the same thing over and over again, that is truly horrific. The film perfectly encapsulates the trauma that comes from becoming an adult, dealing with responsibilities in any form that they come. I had never wanted to have children. It is something that is simply not for me. The film portrayed every fear that I have ever had about becoming a parent and exactly why I have no desire to become one. To me, Tully captured something about trauma adulthood and the fact that the dreams we have and even fulfill don't always live up to what we envision for ourselves. A double feature of Tully and Annihilation would be absolutely devastating. That email comes (laughs) Uh, from from Dalton. Dalton, Um,
2: I I think that's an amazing email that I very well could have written seven years ago. mm -hmm. Five years ago.
1: Mm -hmm, But not Uh, today, Jeff.
2: Not today. Not today. Because... I I'm living it. And I think what's so beautiful about this movie and I'm here. We are in spoilers. So yep. I'm spoiling it. Uh, what's so beautiful about this movie is the guy who you are writing that email visits the guy I am <laughs> who has two kids. Hmm. Right. So, so I was that guy. I was that guy who, who th- would think that and go, Oh my God, I I, I don't want to have kids. I don't, but what's so beautiful about this movie is I feel like the obvious way to go about a, a film like this where you take the conceit of a young you visiting an, an older you is all of these crazy things that your young you would think about that experience or like all the disappointments they have. And you. But that's not what this movie does at all. It's the young you coming to help. It's the young you coming and going – this is great where you ended up. This is beautiful where you ended up. There is so much love in that, that the older version of her comes to terms with the younger version. And the younger version is the loving, accepting part. Um, And, and, you know, there's this moment in it that really rocked me because, you know, I, I went to acting school And I was obsessed as a, as a young person, I mean, I still think I'm kind of young, but as a younger person, uh, I was obsessed with, with greatness of, with ambition, with achievement. I wanted to be a great actor. I want, I, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to be great and do great things and make great art. And I still do. I still do. But I have matured. I have a family. I have seen the value in smallness, simpleness, the beauty and, and grace in affecting a a smaller footprint and living a smaller life. And there's that magical moment where uh, Tully says to Marlowe, you know, this is beautiful. You, you are doing the same thing every day and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's amazing. You're, you are affecting the world in these positive ways by raising children. You, it's like you achieved a dream of yours and that is to be happy and joyous and have stability. And there's like part of me that goes, yeah, I, I understand what is valuable about that also. And, and I think that's, what's so amazing about this movie. Cause you never see that. You certainly never see that from the female perspective, right? It's these movies are, are a dime a dozen in the sense of the, the crazy philandering young guy. And then he, you know, it's a weather man. And like, there's a bunch of movies like that where it's like, Oh, you realize what, how great it would be to just be a good person. But this movie handles it a from the female perspective and b in the opposite way where it's like it, it the older responsibility laden you needs the help of a sensitive caring young you that you still nurture inside and I I, I think honestly uh, our emailer Devin I think I think if you do live a life like I have where you meet the Person that you find out, oh my God, I do want to have a family with this person, and you do kind of change what you think you want in this world. It's not a loss. It's not something dying. It's not a horror show. It's you do actually grow into realizing that there's beauty in that as well.
1: Well, Jeff, I, I feel like I have witnessed the full like maturation of Jeff Canada <laughs> through the movies we have seen together on this show, and I I, I say that like completely genuinely. It's been a really um, it's been a really crazy journey, Jeff. Mm. Anyway. Well, uh, I also had kids, Dave. It wasn't just the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk about a few things about this reveal. I mean, for those who don't know um, and who ha- are, are like listening to the spoiler section anyway, first of all, shame on you. But second of all, what happens in the film is that you find out that the night nanny, Tully, is actually Charlize Theron, a younger version of her character, Marlo. And that she has just been a psychic projection this entire time. Uh, And, like, kind of Fight Club style. And uh, I actually really love the way that that reveal happened. Uh, It was offhandedly, you know, Ron Livingston's character mentions it, uh like that her maiden name is Tully to the uh nurse but like or to the attending whatever taking down the information the ho- yeah the but, hospital uh, hospital clerk whatever basically but yeah. before that there it was already like stuff was kind of off you know what i mean like yeah. uh she had crashed her vehicle into the water but like no one was men- like no one was mentioning where Tully was no one was saying that there right. was another person so she's just kind of like something's really weird here um and then you see scenes from the film played out again, but with only one character and that but is... I
2: loved i mean that's very much the, the uh, universe, uh um uh usual suspects moment, right yeah but it I liked how it wasn't belabored yeah it, it was yeah, yeah it was really simple and beautiful and quick, and it wasn't like oh shit it was more like this this really kind of poetic little yeah it was just like a
1: little montage it was like less than a minute probably yeah that just like showed you very elegantly you know no one explained like oh it was her the whole time you know like it was there was no um first person narration like fight club or or you know anything like that so I, i thought it very beautifully done and i love that moment when um, Tully says to Marlo, thanks for keeping me alive. And she says, same, you know, and they mean it in very different ways. Uh, lovely, lovely moment there. Uh, there are a few kind of troubling things that the movie brings up, you know, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious how you feel about this, right? One of them is this concept that um, I, I, this woman has, I don't know what, how you want to describe it, like a psychotic break, you know, like. Um, something is wrong because she feels the need to cook and clean all night right is like she 's baking cupcakes late into the night and like you, you all the stuff that that quote unquote Tully did you realize that Marlowe did um, right. and so uh, she she 's suffering from extreme exhaustion uh, and the the movie kind of posits that unless you are wealthy um you know you will suffer horribly as a result of having children and maybe that's
2: i i, you know. I don't think that's i don't i don't think that's a, a, a fair reading okay I, yeah I, my take on it is that i mean we they go the movie goes to great lengths to set up a very specific situation for this character mm-hmm. and that is she has this very wealthy brother who's in a very specific situation to be able to offer her something that her pride and her sense of duty won't allow her to take. And in instead of taking it. And her husband is, you know, like, why wouldn't you take it? But this is something I see in my own wife, uh, and and I think resonates probably in women who've who've been through the situation that it it is not a result of psychosis necessarily, or even postpartum depression or anything like that. It's this feeling that, Something kicks in and again, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a husband. I'm, I'm not, I can't speak about this, you know, from personal experience living through it, but something kicks in that is primal. You know, you, my, my wife does things that I don't think I could do. She puts herself through things physically and emotionally in the caretaking of our children, that is superhuman, superhuman. I don't even, I'm not exaggerating. Like what is she's able to do and constantly hold it together and keep the house running and herself running and not because I'm unwilling to help or participate, but because there is this thing that happens where, you know, you, you are taking care of a life and i think what what it what is being dramatized in this film is her making a decision that she is not going to accept a stranger taking care of her kid but she is instead going to do everything she's going to show that that she's capable of doing everything that that person would do to the point of destroying herself like she'll run herself into the ground in order to not short shrift her children, you mm-hmm. know, right? Like her, her kid should get the benefits of a night nurse, but she's not going to let a, a stranger take care of her kid. So instead she will do that and everything else.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it does. So maybe like it's more a function of, uh, of circumstance and also of personality that, leads them into the the predicament that they end up in.
0: Well, also but, part, I mean, by the end of the movie, you also see like, we don't spend a lot of time with the father, you know, and the husband. Uh, but clearly like he's doing his thing, right? He is going to work. He's working extra hard and he's helping the kids with homework. But when it comes to that other part of like taking care of his wife in a way that she needs to, and maybe she's not communicating or he doesn't notice, that's the other thing, too. And I think that's the, that's the resolution of the movie. It's like, found- oh, I didn't even see this. Right. That is one of the, the most the disturbing
1: aspects of the film, right? Is yeah. that this guy's not a monster. You know, yeah. um, He's not he's even the guy. super neglectful. He just is doing his thing. And like simply by inaction or inattention uh, can re- result in it's- like this catastrophic... Mm. Uh, it's worse se- than that events yeah
2: i don't even think it's inaction and inattention it's a thing that i have witnessed in myself repeatedly that i think is a very male trait that this movie so beautifully gets which is you didn't tell me there was a problem mm-hmm. you know like I, I he literally says i thought everything was going great yeah because she's holding it together she's Her entire existence is focused on making everything great for everyone else to the exclusion of her own self-care, right? And so from all external evidence, everything's great. And you you as a guy are like, I don't know how she's doing it, but this is amazing. Well, she's not doing it. Yeah. (laughs) She's not doing it. And it's very, very hard – to understand that and to even see it because we as guys are like, well, just ask for help. Just say, I- I'm, I'm here. I'm willing to do it. Uh, do it.
0: whatever you need. I will yeah. do. It's the but, art of trying to empathize and understand without any words being said, right? That is like the tr- <laughs> something I've also learned being married as well. Like that. It's an important thing. It seems like it is essential for, you know, mastering the art of actually having children too.
2: Very hard. It's a very hard mm-hmm. thing. Uh, because you know, you you know, you speak different languages in a, in a lot of ways and and I, you know, it's, but I, that's what I think is so beautiful about this movie. You're absolutely right, Dave. He's not a, he's not a monster. He's actually a pretty good guy who really is trying so hard and actually thinks he's doing a great job. Mm -hmm. And and therein lies the the problem, right? Because she doesn't have any ill will toward him. She loves him. He's, you know, like, she's not angry at him at any but point. She,
0: in I think to a certain sense, that conversation about, like, you know, she, she rode the merry-go-round, right? And he is a bench. And what does that mean? You know, right. I think the, this movie is about the reckoning of the regret of not having the life you maybe thought you would, like you were saying, Jeff, and maybe not accomplishing the things you were. But also, maybe... You know, this isn't the person you thought you'd end up with, but it, yeah, it, it, it's very different, right? If you're happy with them, if you love them, then it's still a meaningful relationship. And I think part of it was her understanding that as well, uh, but I don't know. I'm I'm thinking so much about his role because that is the thing I try to avoid being, basically, sure, right? Too, it is this sense of like benign neglect. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, talk about. I'm a guy who, you know, plays video games for a living. Right. And, and there are scenes where she walks in and he's like playing a video game and I'm like, fucking yeah. fucking, hey. I'm sitting next to my wife <laughs> holding her hand and she's like looking at me and smiling. You know, it's, it, <laughs> it was an extraordinary experience seeing this cause it's like, Oh, am I that guy? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, that's a nightmare scenario too. I don't want to be that guy, but, but I, I, I don't see it. I don't want to keep dominating the conversation here, but I don't, I don't see it as anything other than an expression of love. Like I feel like this movie really, she, I don't think she has regrets. I think she, it is her young self signing off on this beautiful thing that she's inside and, and, and understanding that nothing is perfect and nothing is storybook, but it, it has beauty and it has value
0: it does seem like it it is about coming to terms with regret though like that and part that was partially young adult is like learning from your past really, you know mistakes in trying to grow up, and this movie is more about like part of adulthood is that yeah, your life didn't turn out the way you wanted, but that's okay. you can survive. I think you compare this movie with like Synecdoche, New York right in terms of like living a life of regret and how to how to deal with that uh except this takes a far happier. I think it had a more like insightful ending. And uh, one more thing I just want to mention, if you could look at Breaking Bad as a story of uh, how shitty America's healthcare system is, you know, <laughs> that a guy would have to basically turn to drugs to survive cancer. Uh, this movie also seems like a uh, kind of a minor statement on the fact that yeah, you know, paternity leave is not a thing in a lot of places and for a lot of jobs. And like, if, if he just was able to be there and not be working extra hard when he just had a kid, Like, that is just, that's fucked up on another level, too. And he, yeah, yeah. It's something he would have been there to help his wife. It's a shame.
1: I think that. Given the uh, horrifying portrait that the film paints in the opening third, that the the kind of happy ending does feel a little bit unearned, in my opinion, because as you bring up Devendra, it's not like Ron Livingston is just going to get a bunch more free time. You know, there's only limited to the number of hours in the day, and you know the the school that their troubled child goes to. Literally has garbage everywhere, but like, oh, you know, yeah, he, you know, maybe he, things are going to work out fine. You know, they have that one teacher. That, that one teacher is good to him. You know, like as
2: someone that worked, moment though is so beautiful. Yeah. The tree moment. It is. Yeah. Oh, it is beautiful.
1: Oh. And I, I understand what they're trying to say, which is like, hey, you know, just because you can't go to the fancy private school doesn't like sometimes it is a matter of it. As someone who's <laughs> literally worked in those environments before, it's it's not quite. Uh, it doesn't always have a happy ending. Let's put it that way. Um, so
2: I, I, I would, I would even remove, abstract it even one more layer. And maybe I'm being a little Pollyanna here, but I think what the movie is is saying isn't any about any specific situation about this school or that school. It's about listening, right? And and the, I think it's all about listening. Like the kid in one moment has a guy that just listens to him mm-hmm. and is present and gives him a moment uh, like, and says, as he walks away, he's like, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you screaming. There's nothing, you don't have to, nothing to apologize for, you know, that, that, that I think is really the theme of the whole film is what Charlize Theron needed was her young. self. I mean, what she needed was someone. And it happened to be her young self to just be present and li- and hear her and be there for her. And she couldn't find it in anywhere other than, You know, her inside herself in in this little person that was inside herself. And hopefully because of this episode, there will be a level of listening and understanding that will emerge in her life. And I I, I don't think it is as bleak as as you guys make it out to be. I hope it
0: isn't. All right. I'm not thinking it's bleak. It's more. Yeah, it's just not purely hope it's not purely like a happy ending i think like it, yeah, it is I, like I, just I totally, dealing with
1: the sad reality of life exactly yeah. i totally agree i think it's much more bittersweet um than yeah than it might otherwise indicate like,
0: jeff you were mentioning that this movie doesn't have an antagonist and i think that is true of all of jason reitman's like great movies right mm. but what is juno's you know plot problem it, it, it is life life yeah. happened to this young yeah. girl what is what is you know uh, the other Charlie Theron. What is Young Adult's problem? Is just that she she never grew up. Like He he is just so good at this. And also Diablo Cody is just so good at this. And them as a pair, such a winning combination.
1: Yeah. I want to give I, a few I mean, sh- shout-outs before uh, we wrap up here. Uh, just kind of some stylistic film choices that I, I thought were particularly brilliant. First of all, the dinner party scene, uh, I thought, was exceptionally <laughs> written. Every oh, sentence of that dinner party scene uh, was designed to maximize awkwardness. Yes, uh, and I just thought it was really well written and w- really well performed. And there's this kind of like, you know, uh, I I love all my friends in Seattle, and you know, I I don't have <laughs> bad dinner parties with them, but like I've had a bad dinner party every now and then. Um, yeah, with people who mm-hmm. I uh, maybe I'm not that good friends with, and. You can just tell this kind of seething layer of passive aggression just underneath the surface that uh, I thought was rendered really accurately in that scene. So I thought that was really nice. Um, there is a moment in the movie when Tully's driving in- into the city with uh, Marlowe, and they show a montage of like songs in the car, mm-hmm. but it's like quick oh, cuts. and they're all Cyndi Lauper. Yes. Yeah.
2: So great,
1: and uh oh. and it's just like, wow, like I've never seen the passage of time communicated in quite this way before. Yeah. this took seven songs, so it's like an hour or right yeah. yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah. yeah, you can tell by how many songs you're measuring." Yeah. And often we do that in reality. you measure like the distance by how many songs it took. I just thought, yeah, that was really I just love
2: that it 's one one artist
1: though that they do that. It's so i 've
2: never seen that done before either, right. which I thought was so brilliant it 's like, yeah, she wanted to listen to Lomper, so she did uh, it 's so great it 's so great
1: and then uh you know in general, the rest of the film is uh recontextualized after you know the ending, um particularly that karaoke scene with um uh, is that Marlo. particularly
0: what you're thinking of? Well, there, there's okay. the
1: karaoke scene <laughs> with Marlo and her daughter, which like at first you're like, oh, she yeah. has so much energy. But in fact, yeah, you yeah. realize she's just suffering from delirium and extreme exhaustion. <laughs> um, is your mom was... happy to be with you or is she suffering from delirium or exhaustion? <laughs> Who knows?
0: I
2: have to say that was the scene my wife picked out at the <clears> end, <throat> end as being the most beautiful scene in the whole movie. Yeah.
1: Karaoke she too. was like,
2: yeah, she's like I she was crying during it and she's like, I just want to be that for my kid. Yeah, because it's a moment where her daughter is nervous mm-hmm. and awkward and alone. She did the karaoke she, save. It's so great. She comes up there and she just dives in, and it's. It, I think it is exactly what I'm talking about with regard to this. Mm-hmm. She she is a selfless mom. She is a super mom, and she is living her best self for everyone else, to the exclusion of her own self care. And and that is, I think. There's something maternal about that, that this movie gets on a very deep level of the things you are willing to put yourself through for the for the uh, the the care of others that is actually hard on you. Mm -hmm. But moms do it every day, all day, willingly, happily, joyously, joyfully. Uh, And and I I don't know, I, I found that to be you just don't see that in movies, I don't think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I, also, earlier in the film, uh, the kid goes into class and says, hey, my mom made these cups. My mom made these cupcakes. Freaking gave away the whole ending of the movie <laughs> right you. there. I mean,
0: <laughs> but in terms of recontextualizing scenes, like cool. I really wonder what was going on with that that crazy sex scene, basically, because well, she then dressed it up. She yeah, she, dressed her, up, she dressed up as the thing. Yes, yes, yes. She
2: needed her young self to come out. Yeah. And, and be the thing her husband needed. Another but example. As you
0: were watching that scene, what was going through your that mind? That was weird.
1: That was like, yeah, that was th- weird. The first, the first that experience weird, of watching it before yeah. you see the ending. It's, it's like, it's, what is happening?
2: This is weird. Yes. Yeah. and that's what's so great is that <laughs> you're like, this is some fucked up shit right here. <laughs> but kudos to the movie for not like making it salacious or mm-hmm. you know it cuts away really early and it's and you do recontextualize it later and you realize yeah, that yeah. the old version of her goes i'll tell you what he likes because the old version of her knows him on a level that the young version of her doesn't you know but she needs that she needs to sort of re-embody that young version of her to find her inner sexiness mm-hmm. it, it it's beautiful. It ends up being beautiful for something that is on the, on the surface pretty creepy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Brian Davids in yeah. the chat room is calling it Tully 2049, which, uh, <laughs> interestingly, yeah, this is the second time in the last, you know, yeah. six to seven months or whatever, whenever Blade Runner 2049 came out, that uh, Mackenzie Davis is involved in a sex scene He's where she's yeah. playing someone that's not her. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> which uh, also, yeah, anyway. Very weird.
0: Also, just want to shout out for her performance. I love Mackenzie Davis, um, mainly because of *Halt and Catch Fire*. Mm. I think in that show, like she is the heart. She's uh, that that show has like a lot of great pillars, but she is a strong one in that show. She is a young hacker girl who ends up like, you know, she wants to be a programmer who makes like who creates beautiful things and she just embodies that character so well. So I'm really glad to see her getting these film roles because I think she deserves it. Yeah. I,
2: I thought the movie did a really, uh, brilliant thing also where there's a, a, scene early on in that, uh, cafe or, or, or coffee shop where, uh, Uh, Charlize Theron meets her old friend Violet from when Mm -hmm. she was young. Oh, yeah. And there is clearly some some sexual tension happening, which threw me. It was a beautiful red herring that threw me down this road of like, oh, my, is she going to totally fall in (laughs) love with Tully? This whole, you know, like, it's a beautiful. Yeah. um, Yeah. 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 Red herring to throw you off the scent of the actual twist, which I thought was so brilliant. I I thought the look look
1: on that woman's face when she saw (laughs) Marlo, like, pregnant, picking these chocolate chips out of the muffin, she just, like, had this look of, like, shock and mild disgust that I thought was... Disgust. Yeah, yeah, it's like... It it was such a brilliantly acted scene where the the actor's just communicating this entire history that she's Mm -hmm. had with this character in, like, a few seconds, you know? And And also
0: her closing line... Like, at one point, she says, like, yeah, T- Tully's having coffee, and she says something is, like, as black as my womb or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just like, wh- what? What? The, yeah, that was This, <laughs> this movie has, yeah, it, it, it this movie has a surprise, like, n- knockout punchlines, I think, yeah. too. Like, there's that scene when she confronts, you know, the principal, and she, she is, you know, shouting at the principal because uh, does she think her son is, you know, the, I think that is... That is pretty crazy. Like, this movie has those escalating moments uh, that come out of nowhere and kind of just shock you a little. And I think that's pretty great. That is that is sort of like Diablo Cody's tempo, but she's, she's mastered it to the point where a single line can leave you, you know, gut-punched.
2: Also, Charlize Theron's physical transformation is mm-hmm. pretty remarkable. I mean, if you think about her in the last, Fast and the Furious movie, and then here it's like...
1: Atomic Blonde. It was right after Atomic yeah, Blonde. She gained uh, Blonde. 50 pounds. So, pretty crazy. Pretty she's, wild. she's like a modern-day Christian Bale. Although, I guess Christian Bale is also <laughs> a modern-day Christian Bale. But, hmm. uh, I mean, Christian is yeah. a modern-day uh, Robert De Niro, isn't he? Yeah, it? yeah. There you go. Anyway, uh, all right. Well, we are running a little bit long here on this review, but I think you can tell that we all really uh, thought this movie was uh, certainly worth watching, very provocative, and uh, lots to think about, lots to appreciate in Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody's Tully. Check it out. It's in theaters now. Please give this movie some love while you can. Um, I think yeah. uh, it could use it. All right.
0: I will say I want go back guys... and watch Juno, by the way, because I still get crap when I tell people Juno is a good movie and I people are Juno. just like, oh, it, it is a super, you know, t- t- just so like full of itself stylistically and everything. That is maybe the first five minutes of that movie. That movie is still devastating. By the end and it's remarkably mature you know looking at it today
2: i love that movie i really do yeah. uh i would like to to have a conversation with you guys if and when you ha- you have children mm-hmm. and you go back and see this movie i would love for you to watch this movie the first month after you had a child <laughs> and, uh, see how you think about it in a, in yeah. a different way
1: all right well um, that's gonna bring us to the end of our review this week. Find more episodes of this podcast at slash com. email us at slash Uh our theme sum comes from comes from Adam dot com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Uh, stay tuned to hear O'B we'll reviewing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Canada, we gonna find more of your work on the internet this week.
2: Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Cannata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5 by tv slash DLC. And a comedy science show. It's only 20-minute episodes. They're uh, fun and informative. Give it a shot. It's called We Have Concerns, and you can find it at wehaveconcerns.com.
1: How about you, Devendra?
0: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at gadget.com.
1: Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net or on YouTube at Dave um and youtube.com slash Dave Chensky that's Dave Chen SKY next week we're going to be reviewing The Rider The Rider which is a movie I've heard a lot of, about mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to check it out but I'm really looking forward to it um, and I think it's going to be an interesting conversation uh, my wife is probably going to make me see Breaking In the new film starring Gabrielle Union directed by James McTeague Guess my wife us? also really wants to see that movie yeah so, maybe we could do yeah. a little after dark about Breaking In um <laughs> But uh, anyway, that's going to be what we're talking about next week. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. Uh, so let's get into it, shall we? Oh, um, sorry, guys. Before we get into it, there was, um, I feel like, was there an announcement we wanted to make? No? I'm just, sorry. I thought no. I got confused. Uh, I thought there was another. announcement. announcing something? No. Is, hold, g- give me a second. Let me find um, <laughs> Let me find the, uh, right. Mitch Hurwitz had this like series of tweets <laughs> about the rest <laughs> development that I wanted to make sure I read. So sorry, just give me one second. This is going super well already. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. Yeah. Um.
2: My favorite part is is the you reading silently as we listen.
1: Yeah, I know. This is a, okay. I found it. Sorry about is, that. <clears throat> all right, so let's get into it, shall we? Uh, this week. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember, guys. I remember what it was. I remember what it was. I remember what it was. Sorry, sorry. Um, Don't well, cut any reading. of this out. Yeah. <laughs>